0: Every great story begins with a voice giving shape to darkness. A storyteller speaking characters into existence. And it's good. In fact, it's perfect. Enter the villain. One who wishes to change the story. To bring death to mankind. To unmake the storyteller's good world. Our inciting incident where everything goes wrong. The villain tells the characters they can create their own story, and they believe the lie. Death is sentenced, and the characters are enslaved. The villain is triumphant. But all is not lost. The storyteller is not idle, he has a plan. But it will take time and sacrifice.
1: Good morning. We are moving on with our survey of scripture. By the way, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, we are surveying the Bible in this series to see how God has revealed himself in his plan through the stories of real people uh, in the history of the world. As we gather from the Roland video, God's story has all the ep- elements of an, epic, of an epic story that resonate with us, and they resonate with us because they line up with our reality. There's a perfect setting at the very beginning of creation. There is a villain. And then there's this forward look to sacrifice, and we're going to look at that today. First week of this series, on Easter, we saw how Jesus appeared to two dejected disciples after his Crucifixion, they were dejected. And then he appeared to them, resurrected in his resurrected body, and that really encouraged them. <laughs> but the conversation that he had with them in that moment was interesting because what he did is he, he began to connect the dots from creation to the crucifixion and then the resurrection. He began to lay out for them how God had been working in history to reveal himself. It was progressive. Yeah, he, he revealed more and more and more of himself until in Jesus Christ he stepped into the world. But Jesus connected the dots for them and they were incredibly encouraged by this. They began to see things they hadn't seen. And then they realized, ah, oh, this is the one God was talking about. We're looking at a passage way back in Genesis 3 today. Where you see the prophecy about Jesus coming and so Jesus was connecting those dots for them and this is what we're aiming to do in this in this series last week second week of the series we saw the majesty power love and wisdom of God displayed in creation first man and woman they they lived in a perfect setting and enjoyed a meaningful friendship with God. They they just walked with him and talked with him in the setting, in the garden, uh, and had a free and enjoyable relationship with him. Today, we're going to look at how evil entered the world, Uh, and with evil comes pain and suffering. Evil would be okay if it was remote, but the problem with evil is it's not. It doesn't stay there. It affects us. So... There is pain and there is suffering that is generated from evil. Some some can be explained, some some not. But we're going to look at the source today as we find it. One of the classic concerns in philosophy. Is the called the problem of evil. It's this problem. And many use it as an objection to following God or to believing in the God of the Bible. The problem is stated something like this. If God is good and he is all powerful, then why does evil exist in the world? And the thought is, if I were God, (laughs) then evil would not exist. So since evil exists in the world, the God of the Bible can't be good like it claims or He's good and he wants to make it good, but he's not all powerful. He doesn't have the power to pull it off. So this is the problem. And we're going to address that this morning. Now, resolving that problem depends on who you put in the center of the universe. If you put human beings in the center of the universe, it's very difficult to resolve because if we're looking at what's going on from our vantage point and we're trying to sort at, sort it all out from our view of things, it's going to be very difficult to make sense of it. In fact, you can't. But if God is in the center of the universe and everything revolves around him, you can make sense of it. There's a third option to this problem of evil to the the resolution of it it's totally logical to believe that god is good and all-powerful and yet he has a perfectly good reason for allowing evil to exist in the world that's that's very logical but if you put humans in the center And you're trying to make sense, and when we're suffering, when we're experiencing the effects of evil and the pain in the world, it's not going to make sense. You have to raise your sights above your circumstances and look beyond yourself to resolve the issue. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to see what happened to introduce evil into the world. And what you'll find is faith is going to be required to resolve our personal battles with pain and suffering. We're, we're going to need faith to, to work through this. Uh, and we'll, we'll find out how to, how to pull that off as we walk, walk forward, or how God's provided a way for us to do that. What we see in today's passage is that God promises to redeem the world in spite of man's rebellion. He made the man and woman put them in this perfect setting, and gave them a choice. And we're going to see how God promises he does not give up. He He promises to redeem. He has a plan that he, he, he mentions at, at the very point of their rebellion, and then he moves forward in history to work his plan that will not fail. His purpose will be fulfilled. So today we see the Bible's explanation for how, how evil entered into the world. Here's where the trouble begins in the temptation and fall in Genesis 3, the very first verse of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now this is an interesting conversation. First of all, it's a serpent. (laughs) that would make it interesting to begin with but what happened is our enemy satan was speaking through the serpent and you see in this conversation some important clues to how it goes when god made the first man and woman he he was very close to them he was in a very close personal relationship with them friendship with them he walked and talked with them in the garden as you read between the lines here, and it's not very difficult to do. You 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 get the picture that God's purpose for creating people was so that He could have this friendship, so that He, he could have some people to love and show kindness to, and develop a relationship based on His loving kindness and faithfulness. Is just is just a steadfastness. To the way he relates to the people he made and he created people so that they could return his love so that they could relate to him as well. He wanted to enjoy the friendship and he wanted people to enjoy that that friendship as well to keep it real. What God did is he he gave them boundaries and he put a tree in the middle of the garden and he told them this is off limits out of bounds don't eat from this tree he he did this so that people could choose whether or not to listen to him whether or not to obey him that that's what keeps it real <laughs> you know if if you have a god who is your creator and you're forced to do what the creator says what kind of friendship is that we know that's not a friendship that's that's a dictatorship that is, and people wouldn't be who we are without that freedom to obey or not obey. So this explains why God makes this temptation a, a real possibility. Because he wanted he wanted the friendship to be real. So our enemy Satan speaks through a serpent to tempt. He questions God's motive in commanding them not to eat from that tree why, why did why did God put the limits on this hey I should have I should have all the freedom I want to do exactly what I want in this world it's a very human thought isn't it oh I don't like the boundaries I don't like the limits this is this is not right so the enemy goes for that he questions the motives of God and He creates doubt in Eve's mind as to the goodness of God. So he creates this doubt. And this is a major tactic of the enemy in our lives. We go go through a a difficult time, or we, we see something that we want that's out of bounds, it's off limits, and we know that. And then we begin to question the goodness of God. You know, why would he say, I can't have that? Why would he say that's not the way to get this? Why would God do that? This is a major tactic of the enemy that's being revealed to us here. One of Satan's major tools in luring us to cave into temptation is to doubt the goodness of God. And it goes something like this. If I stay inside his boundaries, I'm going to get ripped off. This is not going to turn out good for me. Why did God do this? Why did he say it was off limits? For example, if I want a better position at work, scripture is clear, and our conscience really tells us that it's wrong to cut others down with our words or our actions to get ahead. We know that's wrong. The right way to promotion is, is to work hard and trust him to give it. But the thought comes as an attack if I stay inside these boundaries I might get ripped off. I'm not quite sure if I'm going to do that now. Because I want the status, the, the salary increase. I want that. And so I'm going to step out of bounds to get it. Because I'm not quite sure if God's going to come through if I stay inside his boundaries. This is the nature of temptation. Taxes are due this week. Sorry to mention that I just I know it's a bummer <laughs> to think about sometimes. It's right, okay, it's right to pay taxes. Getting ready for them, wondering how much you're gonna owe is is a challenge at times. But they do. It's out of bounds to take a deduction that isn't legitimate. But I tell you what, you're doing turbo tax, you're working through the process and you hit something that you think you might qualify for and you watch the number go from red to green and you're like, oh, my, that is tempting. That is really tempting. You know what? Who would know? Who would know? And the IRS, they've got, you know, they've got bigger fish to fry. So who's going to figure this out if I just, you know, sneak that one in there? The answer is God. God would know, but this is the heart of temptation. It's, it's doubting the goodness of God, and if I stay inside His boundaries, is he going to come through? If I step outside of the boundaries, it looks like I can have what I want or more of what I want right now. We teach a battle plan in Kid's Zone for fighting off temptation. And it would have really helped in this moment at the beginning of of the world (laughs) would have really helped. But it's 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 say, pray, obey. That's what it is. And when and when you get in a tough spot, what we're teaching the kids is say the truth. Pray, ask God for help and then step out and obey him. Boy, that would have really been a good idea. In this moment, they could have said the truth, remembered that God said, hey, this is off limits. God, help me to stay inside your boundaries. Help me to trust you. I'm wavering right now. I'm waffling on trusting you and then just obey that. That's the key. God, if 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 you could help me, I need that help. So say the truth. Psalm 73 one says, truly God is good. So it helps me in these moments to have short passages of Scripture to bring to mind, to fight off the temptation. Truly, God is good. God is good. He is. He's not going to rip me off. Shield of faith in Ephesians 6, which lists the armor of God. Shield of faith. God is not, you will not rip me off. That, that is an expression of faith, the purest kind. So I say the truth. Truly, God is good. I ask God for help. Father, help me in this battle right now. I know you won't rip me off. You've proven that over and over and over again. Obey without delay and watch God come through. If you don't do that, if you don't stay inside his boundaries, you never your faith doesn't ever grow because you never see how faithful God is to come through and provide exactly what you need. Back to our storyline, Genesis 3, 6, and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that, boy, I understand that, delight to the eyes. It's like, man, that looks so good. You know, you lay out the dessert, and it looks so good. But anyway, she, she thought it looked good, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, And he ate, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Say, say, pray and obey would have really saved a ton of grief right here (laughs) Ah, in this. But what an understatement. But then if people would have obeyed perfectly up until me, my birth, this is. I could have done the same thing. I could have caved. I like to eat. I like to eat good stuff. And I I do cave myself. This is how sin and evil entered the world. And immediately, the first man and woman felt ashamed and guilty. They covered themselves and tried to hide from God. The close, enjoyable friendship with God was now broken by sin. It was severed. They were separated from him. Spiritually. She, she could have withstood the temptation by remembering God's instruction and trusting him in the moment, but she didn't. Just like ourselves. The couple, they hear the, the footsteps of God. They hear that he's walking through the garden And they hide from him. They hide from his presence. I could tell you, hiding or running from God is a waste of time. It's futile. I've tried it. God walks up to Adam and he confronts his rebellion. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? There's a reason why he walks up to Adam and confronts his rebellion. But he walks up to him and he asks if he had eaten him uh, from the tree because they had covered themselves And, and God knew this already, but they had covered themselves. So he asked if they had eaten from the tree that he had asked them or commanded them not to eat from. And we'll see what Adam says in a moment, but I want to stop here. He went to Adam because Adam is the head of our entire race. This is something important to understand. And in, in scripture, what you have is the way God works in the world is he works through authority. So he, he gives people a realm of authority, like presidents of countries or families have a head. The, the father is the head of the family. The husband is the head of the family or at work. A boss, a boss has a realm of authority And God works through them. He holds them accountable for the choices that are made in that realm. And so he doesn't go to Eve, who is the one who ate first. He goes to Adam, who is the... The word is federal. It's You're the federal head. So your choices impact everything under you. So what we found last week is... God made the first man and woman, and he put them in charge of the world, the earth that he had made. And so when he gave them authority to rule under him, everything under them would be affected by the choices they made. Adam was made first, so God goes to Adam. He doesn't go to Eve. But this is how God works through authority, and we miss this in America because we're so focused on individualism. We see everybody as separate parts. We're all, we're all just individuals trying to make in our world, and what I do doesn't hurt anybody else. It's really not going to affect them. It's my choice. I can do what I want. But in the way that God works, remember, if you put God in the center of the universe, it really matters what he says about things. If you let the person in the center, that makes sense. You put God in the center and this is the way that he works to govern the universe through the authorities that he's made. And so he goes to Adam and I find it fascinating what Adam says. I can totally relate. God says, Adam, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And he says, the woman you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And so I ate. Does this sound like a familiar strategy to you? (laughs) Uh, It's her fault. I would have never eaten it if it weren't for her influence. God turns to the woman. She blames the serpent. They both try to justify themselves and the decision that they'd made by blaming someone else. It's what I have to fight. I'm pretty sure you have to fight it as well. But then God reveals the consequences of their choice to rebel. For the woman, it's pain and a power struggle in a a key relationship and in, in all relationships. To the woman, he said... I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The first mention of pain here, childbirth, it gets multiplied in childbirth. It now involves pain and struggle. It's hairy and scary from the moment you get pregnant. It's just scary. That's all I can say. I didn't realize that until my wife was pregnant the first time. And then you're like, oh, boy, we're on quite a ride. I thought it was over after 18 years. It's not. Okay, it just keeps going. And, and so God, God wires in pain. After this rebellion, after this choice, there is now a wrestling match that's going on between men and women in marriage. She's going to want to control him. That word desire, it says her desire will be for him. It actually means to. He, she's going to try to master him. And the way men are, they will not be mastered. And so there's this wrestling match that ensues between men and women. He's not about to be controlled. She's going to try. And so round and round and round things go in marriage. And one guy calls it the crazy cycle. God doled out the consequences for a reason. He's good. He's good God. So he doled out these consequences, hoping that in the frustration that was created by the consequences that men and women both would turn to him for help. This is why he did this. He wires in the frustration in life so that we could would turn to him and ask him to help us unwind what's going on. Women tend to be more oriented toward relationships, so this is where God creates the consequences. So they're, they're more concerned about that. For the man, pain and trouble with work. To Adam he said, because you, have not, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall be bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Work is now full of trouble. It, It wouldn't have been full of trouble. We have to battle to enjoy work. And we have to fight to accomplish what's important. And God didn't intend this, but this is a consequence. And men tend to be more oriented toward work and accomplishment. Doesn't mean that women aren't capable or accomplish. But men, this is our orientation typically toward work and accomplishment. So God wires in the frustration so that in the frustration, we might turn to him to help us help. Help things begin to come together, so God you see the wisdom of God and the consequences that He gave, and you see something about the way we 're made as well in there too. God wants the trouble to drive us to him, to trust him, to do things His way, to stay inside his boundaries god i 've stepped outside i 've paid a price. Would you help me help me to stay inside as he 's laying down? The consequences, God also gives the promise of redemption. This is the very first promise that looks forward to Jesus Christ. Genesis 3, 14, 15. Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is the first time we see God's promise to deal with uh, the source of the evil in the world. And it's given immediately after the rebellion. So God's not surprised and he has a plan. The promise comes in a prophecy about Jesus, but you don't, you don't know that it's him here. God progressively reveals himself Throughout history, from this point on, Other, otherwise we just he would be among us, <laughs> like he was at the beginning in the perfect setting. But since man fell, that's what it's referred to—the fall of man. We 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 now suffer the consequences of that fall. One of which is to be separated from the immediate presence of God. So you see this prophecy about Jesus. Uh, To Satan, he says, and you shall bruise his heel. And then a forward look to the cross where Jesus was bruised by death. Speaking of Christ, he shall bruise your head. Christ, he shall bruise the serpent's head. That's a fatal blow. So on the cross, what you find is, That Jesus was bruised by death, but on the cross, he took all the sins of the world on himself. And in his resurrection, he he proved uh, the power to bring new life to, to those who trust him. God's answer to the problem of evil then was to take all of the sin and evil done in the world on himself in his son, Jesus Christ. To make a way to redeem the world. So as Adam was the federal head of the human race, Jesus Christ is now the federal head of those who trust him. You see, you see how that works? Everything under him. You, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And he is the boss. And he wants to bless everyone under his leadership. That's the way it works. And so that's the logic of the fall and the redemption, the plan of redemption that God executed through Jesus Christ and his death. This this is a reference, he, he will bruise your head, is a reference to Satan being defeated once and for all on the cross. He, he's defeated. He's still going right now. We still have to fight, we still have to battle. Because uh, to, to deal the final blow would mean he would have, God would have to stop the course of history. And people that he intended to be born would not be allowed to be born. You're told in the latter part of the Bible that uh, God is patiently waiting for as many as possible to turn around and give their lives to him. That means those who are born and those who are yet to be born. So he's patiently letting the story play out. So that as many as possible, because if he wrapped it up now, there'd be people that are in the mind of God that wouldn't wouldn't be born yet. And so he's waiting. He's letting it go the way it is. And he's he's dealt the fatal blow, but it's not going to be realized till later completely. Now we gain victory in Christ. We experience the victory of the cross. By trusting him in the moment of temptation and staying inside the boundaries that God has created. That is a lot. You guys look like you're with me. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're staying with me. But what an answer to the problem of evil that God has brought. And how good is he for being willing to sacrifice himself. For our sake. The way Adam and Eve reacted to their wrongdoing, however, is a picture of how we try to deal with our own sin and consequences of it. Here are some common ways that people deal with the consequences. We see the evil in the world because of the fall of man. uh, Evil attacks by people, natural disasters that we can't explain. Which also you see the world is in rebellion as well. The creation itself is in rebellion because, remember, Adam was placed over it. So this is the scripture's explanation of these things. But we see these, and we decide that we're going to do whatever it takes to protect ourselves, to look out for ourselves, and we're going to make sure that our interests are covered. And so, in the moment, we doubt the goodness of God. We draw the conclusion that God must not be good. He must not be all-powerful if evil exists, so I have to chart my own course. I've got to figure this out for myself. I've got to try to get my way by my power. This is at the heart of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey. They questioned God's goodness by giving a boundary, and they decided to live their own way. And God let them go their own way. This is what God does. This only generates more rebellion and more trouble and more and more evil as we make this choice. Ourselves. Another common way is self-justification. We saw that as well. Instead of readily admitting it, we do what Adam and Eve did. We justify ourselves. We try to rationalize the wrong done. If I carelessly use words or give a look that hurts someone close to me, I, I personally have to fight to convince myself it wasn't justified. I've got this thing going around in my head. Well, you know, if they wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have had to say what I did. And it's a battle. God waits patiently for my confession. (laughs) And there's no need to play games because God is gracious. He's dealt with my sin on the cross. He's already paid for it. So I don't have to play games with God or anyone around me. I can humbly, honestly admit, and he is very gracious with me. When faced with the reality of sin and its consequences, we can hide in shame as well. Often, when I cave to temptation, I can take the same approach Adam and Eve did in dealing with the consequences. I can go into default mode and wall God off. I just kind of pretend he's not there. Because I don't really want to admit this. Because it is so humiliating to admit that I've messed up again. That's humiliating. It's humbling. It's humbling. But God promises to forgive if we confess our sins and he tears down the wall. So it's our pride that blocks our friendship with God. Humility keeps the relationship open and pride closes the door. When we choose pride to live our own way, God lets us go. Hey, they got to learn, suffer the consequences for that. Hiding like this wasn't a reality until sin entered our world. The good news is we have another way. We can trust God. When faced with the reality and impact of sin, each of us can choose to trust in God who has redeemed us. Have you ever stopped in the middle of a book or a story because you're just things keep getting worse and it's dark and depressing and you really don't want to go on? You don't want to know the rest of it? Well, good thing the story doesn't end here. (laughs) These these consequences are not the final chapter of our story. Here's a spoiler alert. At the end of Scripture, you can see where we're headed. So here's a little spoiler uh, alert, whatever you call that. (laughs) Dessert. I'm stuck on the dessert. That really sounded good. I'm getting hungry. Uh But anyway... um, Spoiler alert, we can find out how God is going to wrap up history in the book of Revelation. We, we shouldn't give up in the middle of this story. In faith, we trust God in the present circumstances, knowing that he's going to make everything right. He is going to wrap up history and make it right. Now, here's the picture that you see in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throng saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This this is where we're headed, when God wraps up history. What a picture. God will restore everything that's been broken by sin. The former things are sin and its consequences. All of this will pass away. The pain, the suffering, the regret, the crying. It will all be gone. If we trust God, even as the edges of life are unraveling, he walks through the trouble with us. And he helps us come together on the inside. And he helps us make the best choices to Move forward in life. We begin by choosing to trust him now to get a glimpse of the glorious future that God has promised for us. Our part is to say the truth. To ask God for help in the middle of the battle and to step out to obey as we do that over and over and over again. We get a little taste of where we're headed because God walks through the conflict, the trouble, the suffering with us. And he he uses it for our good. This is the picture you see in Scripture. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to pull out the connection card that was mentioned earlier and uh, complete anything you haven't had an opportunity to fill out on that card yet. Or there may be a next step that I mentioned that you'd like to uh, check and let us know that you intend to take. Um, then when the offering ushers come around, you can drop the card in the offering basket. Here, here are some suggested next steps after this this morning's message. My next step today is to, for the first time, commit my life to Christ and follow him as Lord. Maybe you've been considering that, and God brought you to the point to this morning where you're, you're willing to take that step, and you'd like to let us know about that. We want to encourage you in that, in your, your new relationship with god because if you just confess god i've gone my own way i'm going to turn around and go your way and i'm going to trust you he forgives the wall is removed and you can walk on through life with him another step you could take is to refuse to deal wrongly with the consequences of sin and just maybe one of those common ways of doing that Strike a chord with you, and you're just going to drop it. You know, I, I don't want to doubt the goodness of God in the middle of this. I, 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 I don't want to justify myself any longer. I don't have to. I can trust God to do that. And I, I don't want to hide in shame from Him, or I don't want to try to hide in shame from Him. And then a, a final step would be to trust in God, even when things seem fa- like they're falling apart. Next week, uh, we're we're going to be looking at um, chosen but struggling. And we're going to find out what kind of faith is required to please God and thrive under His guidance. And we're going to look at sacrifice. It was mentioned in this passage, it was a veiled mention in the passage we looked at today. But next week, we're going to begin to look at how sacrifice plays into God's friendship with us and our, our response to Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture that really does free us up to know about you, to walk with you, to be the people that you really want us to be, that you made us to be. Help us, God, to take the steps that you've laid on our heart this morning in obedience to you. I ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.